You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er fam, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode is part two of my conversation with author, inspirational speaker, entertainment industry veteran, and CEO, son Sarah Johnson. Now, if you're here, I'm going to assume you've already listened to the first half of this conversation in episode 137, so I won't go into a long intro here. But I'll just say this, make sure you listen to the very end, not just because this is one of my favorite interviews to date, but also because you'll get the details of a giveaway sponsored by Sincera in the final moments. This giveaway expires on Friday, September 25th, so make sure you follow the instructions before then. So without further ado, this conversation picks up right where we left off in part one, and I hope you enjoy. This is one thing because I this actually came up on a show we did a few weeks ago, a cross, crossover episode with Al Hardy um, about that accountability piece. And one of the things that I'm grateful for is that anybody, similarly, anybody who is in my core circle of girlfriends, I know I can flip my all my baggage out right on right. the floor and we unpack it and there's no judgment there. Um, and unfortunately, when that's not happening with our, our male counterparts, what ends up happening is you see a woman, and I think sometimes as much as they don't understand and struggle with the light, they're drawn to it in a way. And they're drawn to the wholeness, the wholeness and the healing that has happened and the work that's being done, even if they can't pinpoint what it is. So then they come and they're trying to tap dance in front of their baggage. And if you're a woman who's evolved and done the work, that is never going to work. Right. And then there's never going to work. And it becomes almost parasitic. Like I'm going to draw from you what I'm not willing to do for myself. So this is how I described it. And it took a situation for me to realize how to name it, how to call it what it was. They see you, they're enamored by you, and they can't love you. You know why they can't love you? They want to be you. Mm. So then it creates that kind of animosity, like a competition animosity thing, because they see these things in you that they want in their own lives. And it makes them feel like a failure every time that mirror, that reflection of light, because instead of saying, wow, this is what I can aspire to be, or if we've linked, this is what we can accomplish together. At some point, we remind them of everything they're not doing. Mm, That's a word. That is a a word. And that's men and women. That's people in general. That's that's people in general. At some point when relationships sour a lot of times, that's the reason is we, we, we become reflections we, of the people and we bounce off our energy. And sometimes they can't take what we represent anymore because everything about us, especially you'll notice that in, in growth, um, Jay-Z has a song called Most Kings and, and, and he says a line, um, you think I worked this hard to remain the same because people are saying that he's changed. And, and I think about that a lot. It's like when you grow and you develop, your circle may change. I mean, that has happened to me. Your, your circle may change. There were, even recently, there were certain conversations I used to entertain. I can't entertain them anymore. can't have them anymore because I know what my life is built for. Doesn't mean that I'm better than anyone else. It does not. It just means that I choose different. And to everybody that's listening, you can choose different anytime you want to. You don't need, I'm giving you permission. If you feel like you need permission to choose different, I am giving you permission to choose different today. You can choose different anytime you want. 
And I think also, you know, one of the things that I've, a lesson I've learned over the years, you know, they say you attract who you are, you attract who you are. I don't think it's always that. For me, I think it's you attract who you are, you attract who you think you deserve, right? Because, go ahead. I I think you attract who you think you deserve. This is my best friend, Barry Knowledge. He knows me over 30 years, so he knew me really well. He said something deep to me one time. And he says, and Sarah, you love people the way you want to be loved. Mm. He said, you love with this intensity, with this fierceness, and you want them to, fierceness, and you want them to win, and you want them to succeed. And if they don't win, their disappointment becomes your disappointment because you want it for them. He said, you love the way that you want to be loved. And I had to acknowledge that and say, no one's ever going to love me the way that I want to be loved because no one, they're not me right? They have not lived my life experience. This, mm-hmm. We are the sum total of our experiences and, and DNA and a bunch of things. There's not another me but me. And now I know I need to love myself the way that I want to be loved. So now I'm no longer seeking that validation in a relationship, that validation. I don't feel incomplete without a partner. I don't feel incomplete without a man. I sit here and I cook myself a four course meal, you know, any night of the week, any, any, any meal of the day, I do things um, that I want to do for myself without a man because it, it's what I want for me. And I think you're right. I think a lot of times we hear these messages of, well, you attract who you are, so you need to do something different. I don't always believe that that's true. And I go to the example of Laban in the Bible. Laban was Jacob's father. And Jacob slayed for seven years for Rachel and Leah. He wanted Rachel to be his wife, right? And and Laban, who was his uncle's family as well, tricked him and said, nah, you got to do another seven years for her. The reason that a lot of people are in our lives is because they are our Laban. And what I mean by that is when it was time, every time it was time for Jacob to leave, Laban kept giving another excuse, kept giving another excuse. Each of those excuses were tied to he wanted him, like relationships do sometimes, keep us enslaved. Mm-hmm. He wanted Jacob enslaved to him because Jacob's presence was a blessing in his life. Mm. And sometimes people are drawn to us and attracted to us because they see that thing in us that they can't put a finger on. They can't name it. But they know my life would be better if this person is in my life. Now, like Laban, they want to dictate what that role you play in their life, but they want to reap the proceeds of it. And at some point, Jacob had to leave Laban. And when Jacob left Laban, God's blessing left him as well. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens with people in our lives. And I think that if we look at all of our relationships in that way, it would serve us all better. And, 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 and if you are, my mother used to say something to me when I was younger, every she said, I never met a stranger. I would never meet a stranger because as Jehovah's Witnesses, we would go to these conventions and we go to the conventions and then people would come to visit our congregation. I'm like, oh, that's so-and-so. She lives in Philly. And my mother's like, how do you know? And because I would always meet people. But one thing my mother said to me was, how could people not love you? And she would say that, but there were other conflicting messages that made me feel less than, right? So that's how it is in relationships sometimes. How could people not love me, right? But they want to dictate the level of that access and what they do with that. 
and adapt that to their own standards, like a religion or whatever, you know, the rules or rituals or whatever. And that's what happens a lot of times in our life. If you're a good person, people will be attracted to you. Absolutely. Just by you being who you are. So that whole you attract, I think, again, I think words matter. I think we need to change some of our words and not you attract who you are. It may be more we accept, not we attract what we feel we deserve. We accept what we feel we deserve. Mm, That's good. There's a difference. We Mm -hmm. accept what we feel we deserve. That's great. Oh, this this is so good. Um, I've completely lost track of time. We haven't even talked about your professional journey. So, you know, (laughs) what's interesting to me is when I meet people who are people of faith uh, who have worked in the entertainment business, which often feels like a dichotomy, like just two opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. Let's talk about your career journey, because who you are now, who, who, what I've learned about you during this conversation, it makes it even more fascinating that you've worked in television, music and television. Um, so walk me through that. Like, how did you break into uh, show business? So I didn't know I was breaking into show business when I did it. Um, I have always been a lover of music. My mother would have a rent party the first of the month and we'd have the music and everything. And I was always a lover, lover of music. I was a lover of lyrics and I was a very much a lover of the liner notes, the album cover liner notes. And I'm a voracious reader, so I would always read them. And so when I was 17, we moved from one town to another town in, in my senior year of high school. And we went to see the movie The Wiz. And Sing for Brand New Day came on. I started crying. I felt something I never in my life felt before. I just started crying. I was 17 years old. I started crying so bad that my mother took me like, come on, like you got to get out of here. And she said, what is wrong? And they thought it was because I had transferred schools, you know, whatever. And I said, I should be there. And Mm. she said, what do you mean? I said, I should be there helping them make it. Nobody in my family knew anything about that. I'm raised one Jehovah's Witnesses, right? So we know nothing about, the only thing we know about the entertainment industry is that Prince is saying he was a Jehovah's Witness and George Benson. But other than that, we didn't know. And the girl who played Christy Love, Teresa Grace, like we didn't know. I didn't, that was the extent of what I knew about the entertainment industry. And I just remember just feeling like so connected. And she said, do you want to be an actor? I said, no, no, I don't want to be on camera. I said, um, I want to make it. I should be there helping make it. I knew nothing about the production process. Fast forward 17, 17, maybe 18 years later, I'm at a church and um, a friend is leaving and she's moving to Chicago. And we're walking out the parking lot, a bunch of us. And I didn't know as well then as I do now. And I said, why are you going to Chicago? She said, my job. I said, what's, what's your job? She said, I'm a producer. She was a producer on The View. And she said, Oprah's starting this new studio and I'm going to work for Oprah. I said, well, what does the producer do? And she said, you know, they help make sure the show, you know, she just gave me this. I don't remember what she said, like this real concise. And I just remember in my spirit, I knew I was like, hmm, I'm going to do that one day. Never pursued it. Never pursued it. Um, I started the music industry. I started because I was managing. I started managing somebody and, and, and I had a way, I have a way of developing relationships with people. I never, never meet a stranger. 
that's how mm-hmm. I got started in the, in the music industry and those relationships. And then um, used to be able to temp for different record labels and stuff. And I worked for Atlantic Records and I did promotions and marketing. So, so that was that part. But this is now years later. And I, during that same time that I mentioned earlier, I got let go from a job and um, I had foot surgery. And I, I go back to look for a job and I go to a temp agency. I miss temp agencies. I go back to a temp agency and um, they say, you have this music industry experience. Do you want to go to work at Viacom? I said, what's mm-hmm. Viacom? And she said, I think you'd be perfect there. So they set me up on this interview and I get a job at Spike TV. And at the same time, I had just wrote my first, wrote a screenplay, wrote this movie, had this idea for a movie. Never knew anybody who was a screenplay writer or anything. Like just had this idea for a movie and start writing it. And I go to work for Spike TV. And my my boss, there's so many stories here. My my the girl who's just across from me, she's watching this show, this new show called The Hills. And ev- whenever it comes on, we have to stop because we have TV adjustments and we have to go watch The Hills. And I'm like, why are you watching the show? Whatever. I didn't get it. Whatever. Meantime, my boss was looking for, um, for music from this DJ who had a new artist. And he wanted me to find this DJ's um, music. And it was on London television. And he was like, you know the music industry, you know people in the music industry. And the artist was Amy Winehouse. Mm-hmm. And it was, be- it was before she became big, you know, whatever. And so I, fa- I got the information from my boss and I was doing really good in the job. And the job became, a per- it was opening up as a permanent position. And in the meantime, I got to know, uh, I was in integrated marketing and I got to know other people throughout the building because I know people, you know, that, that's just the thing that I do. And um, I was given the opportunity to sit in the writer's room. Mm. And I felt like this is where I want to be, but I'm not good enough. And I gave somebody my script to read and they said, you have a gift. And I signed up for the screenwriters contest competition. Um, before the screenwriters, before uh, the screenwriter conference, before the screenwriters conference happened, the job that I was in was a secretary, which was open. They said they hired somebody else. And I found out they hired, they said, we, we hired someone else who has more experience. They hired my freaking intern. Wait. So at this point, you have years of experience, professional experience. You're clearly not coming my, out of the park. I'm in my 30s, like almost 40, almost 40 years mm-hmm. old. Right. So you're and far into your career. They hire my intern. And when I tell you, I cried like a baby. And I remember leaving work that day. And I got in the elevator and the same senior vice president who had put me in a writer's room said, what is wrong? And he made me get off the elevator and go in his office. And I told him, he said, something better is coming for you. I'm telling you, he said, you're too, something better is coming for you. And I didn't see it. I was just, you know, like, this was my chance to get in television, you know, whatever. And I was like, okay, whatever. He's like, you can use me as a representative, okay, whatever. And I got a call a week later saying, we have an opening at MTV. So many stories and testimonies. We have an opening at MTV for a permanent position, for, for um, a long-term temp position for a secretary. Do you want to go? Want to interview? I said, yes. So I'll never forget, it was on a Tuesday. And I go up to the 29th floor. I sign in at the desk and I go to the 29th floor. 
And the girl who approaches me is an African-American. And she says, I said, I'm here. I have a one o'clock appointment. She said, are you sure? I said, yes. She said, I don't see your name on his calendar. I said, I'm sure I have an appointment. She said, well, what is it concerning? I said, I'm interviewing to be his assistant. She said, I am his assistant. Oh, somebody didn't let her know what was going on, obviously. Listen to God. Listen to this. So I interviewed with him and I wrote a book, Breaking the Television and Insider's Guide. And I have another book called Getting the First Base, The Art of the Pitch, which I teach. Um, I do here with um, high school and college students to teach them how to pitch themselves, to prep themselves for interviews. And one of the things that I did on that interview and I teach them is at the end of the interview, the most important question that you can ever ask is, when do you want me to start? Hmm. And he said to me, tomorrow's Wednesday. It's my wife's birthday. I won't be in. Why don't you start on Thursday? So I knew I had the job before the agency did. When I get there on Thursday, guess who has to train me? Old girl. So she's emotionally upset because she did not know that she was getting let go. Like he never had a conversation with her or anything. And I said to her, I need this job. This is what God has for me. God has something greater for you. And I prayed with her. Mm. And I asked her, does she believe in the power of fasting? And we did a three-day fast. Shortly after that, she went to work for Def Jam. Wow. And now she's affiliated with one of the big, I'm not going to say which show it is, one of the biggest um, reality TV franchises on network television. Um, and when it was time, and so then from that position, I didn't learn what happened was I, I sat like right at the end of the hallway. So I was there where MTV News was, a lot of things. And I was like right in the middle mix of things that were happening. And so I developed relationships within the building. There was an artist, you know, I still knew some people from music industry. There was an artist, VH1 Soul was just winding down, but they were still playing videos. There was an artist who had a song who I thought belonged on VH1 Soul. I pitched it and guess what? It landed, you know, the video, you know. And then um, I met someone in Arizona who wanted to do a special about the inside culture of MTV. So I executive produced this, uh, it was, two-hour special called The Faces of MTV. I interviewed somebody from HR. I interviewed people from MTV News. I got inside access to the rock band game that we were developing at the time. Like, I got all this stuff. And I held one of the in- interviews in the music room at MTV, which was, I think, on the 25th floor at the time, which people were not granted access to. But because of the relationships I had developed, you know, this is what happened. So I had a boss who apparently was difficult. And apparently several people had gotten let go in a short period of time. I didn't realize that a lot of people were friendly towards me because they were wanted to know how long I was going to last. Mm. So one day I am driving one day his calendar and then it clicked for me why she kept saying I couldn't be on his calendar. He was a stickler about his his calendar. And I remember one day in particular he kept asking, this has to happen tomorrow. This has to happen. This has to happen. We were doing a lot. We were doing all the licensing and stuff for the, rock, the initial Rockman game. And we were doing a Beatles version of the Rockman game. And we had to secure and make sure all those licenses, everything in place. So it was, it was hectic work. And he said to me, two things happened during that time. This was during a time when I was doing the faces of MTV and the video, you know. And I, I did an elevator pitch literally to the president of MTV. And he had, had me start meeting with development people for some show ideas. And 
one day, what he used to do is I have to be in the office. We both lived in New Jersey, but I have to be in New York in the office while he was driving into the office and discussing his calendar on the phone. And one day he said to me, what happened to my calendar? I said, I told you, you couldn't. And he just cut me short and said, in my office in 10 minutes. Mm. So I just pulled to get, pulled myself together, pulled all my proofs together, put it in a folder. And he said, I thought you said you could handle this job. I thought you said, like, he was just berating me. And I said, I could do your job. I could do this job. And I threw the folder with him. I said, here's the email of every confirmation. And every time I said to you, you have 12 hours back to back with not even 30 minutes to go take a peek. And his face got real red. Mm-hmm. And he said, we have a communication problem. And I said this twice in my life to people. And both times it was in a job, to a position, to a white male in authority in, in my career. And I said, miscommunication is white people talk or you don't want to own up to what you did. You did not say that. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, wait, yes, I did. I said, I understood you clearly. Either you trust me or you don't. And if you don't, I don't need this job. He never had anybody stand up to him like that before. When my mom died and I didn't go to the funeral, he told me, I will come to the funeral with you if you want me to and sit in the back. Because that's wow. what the fellowship people do. He told me, you can cry, scream, come in my office anytime you want to. When he found out the things that I was doing in the building, he called me into my office one day and he said, why didn't you tell me? He said, what are you doing here? I said, what do you mean? He had gotten a call from senior vice presidents, from people in the building. They said, why is your assistant assistant? Like, who is your assistant? Because you know, she's calling my assistant to book this stuff and she's doing this. Like I had gotten insurance permits and everything. Just like I, it was my first production, but I was doing it, that discernment, I was doing it like I was born to do it. And he said to me, why didn't you ask me to help you? I said, because I didn't need your help. Mm. And he said, this is right before the Christmas holidays. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. What is it that you want to do? Tell me what it, the path that you want to take, what it is that you want to do. And then I'm going to help you do that. I said, I don't need to wait for that. I know what I want to do. And he said, what well, I said, I want to executive produce my own television series. He said, I can't do that for you right away, but I can put you on a path to that. And he called someone who worked for him. And he said, I need you to take her to lunch. Just take her to lunch and have a conversation with her. That's all I'm telling you to do. And I went and I had lunch with the vice president and we talked and I pitched some of my ideas and didn't even know I was pitching, but just pitched some of my ideas. And when I got back from lunch, my boss put me in his office and he put me on speakerphone with the guy. He said, what'd you think of her? He said, oh my God, she's awesome. He said, create a job for her. Wow. So in him creating a job for me, another position came up. And this is to every creative, every true creative, I want you to hear me on this. Another position came up. And so somebody else called me and said, it was a production manager job. And he said, "Um, you should interview for this position. I said, why? He said, because you should let the creative be the creative. I was like, Mm. so you're telling me I can't? I didn't even, I, I pushed that to the side. When I got the job, literally, my, my initial title, so the career path is production assistant, production coordinator, maybe production manager, associate producer, and then producer. I was a secretary, and I hadn't been any of those. When I went to get my job, at first, they were going to say production coordinator. 
Then it was associate producer. And my boss called me into the office one day. He said, you're the best producer I have. You're a producer. Wow. That's how I I became a television producer. And one of my, my first shoot was on a show for Logo called Noah's Art. But my second shoot flew me to LA (laughs) to do the DVD behind the scenes interview. For the Hills. And it was so funny. It was like, oh, now it's so there's no wasted time with God. Oh, now I know I was exposed to that show so early on in my career. But every step in my career, every from from starting my business, every step in my career, I didn't know it at the moment, but I could always trace it back to something intentional that God did in my life. And you know what I think is important to note here? You know, we always say people quote the Bible one day as, as a thousand, uh, you know, years and all that other stuff. Um, but one of the things that you hear high achievers say, and a lot of 26ers that I speak to who listen to the show is I feel so behind. I feel like I'm losing time. I'm this age now and I wanted to do this, but it's, you know, it's, it's past that. I should have been focused on that in my 20s. And I think what's so amazing about your story is that once you finally broke into the business, First of all, you saw opportunity and you seized it because that's also important. Another person right. could have gotten into that job and just booked appointments and stayed within the confines of what was on the job description to be a secretary. Right. But you had the access and you seized the opportunity. But also what I think is very important is how years of experiences and that intentionality piece and what God has for you can accelerate and catapult you into your purpose without having to move in lockstep and spend two years in this job and then another one in this one and then three in that one. I think that's important to note. That's when the suddenly moments happen. Mm-hmm. So it's suddenly that everything clicked, but it was a work in progress all the time, just like the creation of earth. It was suddenly, you know, man was on earth, but it was a, a, it was a process like everything with God is. But I'll add to that something you said, anybody who listened, hear me loud and clear. I was almost 40 before I became a television producer. God placed that dream in my heart when I was 17 and I did nothing to pursue it or to chase it. I just knew that it was supposed to be. So it happened when and how it was supposed to be happened. It came to me. I didn't have to fight for it. I didn't have to struggle for it. I did not publish my first book until I was almost 50 years old, almost 50 years old. I did not start working for myself until I was just about to turn 50. I was 49 years old when I first started working for myself. And I had plenty, plenty businesses. I had, I always had a side hustle. I was always having a business on the side of my job. My children were accustomed to having me a home office, having a home office always, but I did not become fully self-employed until God told me it was time. And again, knowing, I knew it was coming. I started studying the book of Joseph. All I wanted to do was to study about Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. And what clicked for me was all of Joseph's experiences. And, and there were two main points for me that made me start my business, that, that encouraged me to start my business, I should say. was One was that when Joseph was in jail, he did what we often do, and I speak about this in the book, we insert ourselves into other people's dreams. So I hate when people say, don't forget me when you make it. Don't forget me. Go back and read about Joseph, because that's what Joseph said. Joseph was presented with the opportunity to interpret two dreams. And it was one, the cupbearer and the baker. And the one that was more favorable to him, one, one was going to die. 
the other one that was more favorable to him, Joseph said, don't forget about me because I'm in here unjustly. We sometimes try to get people to rectify what God already has in process for us. Mm. It was, Joseph wasn't ready. It wasn't God's time for him. And so they did forget about him. And people will forget, forget about you. Don't hold that against that, them. God is doing that. He's allowing that to happen. If God wants something to happen to you, there's nothing that heaven or hell could do to stop it from happening. So stop blaming people for not putting you in positions that you feel like you should be in. If it, it may be that you're not ready. There's some more work that God needs to do in you. So, and, and he's building you up. So by the time that, that Pharaoh needed his dream interpreted, it was like, oh, yeah, Joseph, you know, he has this experience. He has this. And it was said, if you go back to the scriptural account, it was said there was no one more qualified than him. And when I, I got ready to leave my job, I was working a bunch of YouTube channels, Help Daisy launches channel, Meredith Vieira launches channel. I was so undervalued there. And I remember it was time for me to leave and start my own business. And I remember just studying Joseph and I was like, okay, God, you're processing me because I want to go do this now. This is not working. This is not working. And when it was time for me to start my business, I, I, I said a, a, a Joseph prayer. I started a book I need to finish called Joseph Principle. And, and it's not, I, I don't do ritualistic prayers, but the essence of, and it was basically this, God, I know I never want to interview for a job again. Mm. I never want to seek out an opportunity. I want opportunities to come to me because I did my work. I've done my work. And just as they said of Joseph, just as his reputation preceded him, just as his trials and tribulations and abandonment by his family and like all of that happened, preceded him, and you use that to mold him into who he is, that's what I want you to do with my life. So I never want to interview for a job again. And I want everything to happen to me organically. And I want people to say, this is, there's no one more qualified with her. So I started my business, a mass digital, August of 2013. Mm -hmm. I have never advertised, and every single client, major, my clients are major media companies, iHeartMedia, CBS Digital. I've worked with Town Square. I've worked with major brands, Toyota, um, Delta. Uh, liquor brands, car brands, you name it. I've worked with major, major brands. I've promoted videos for hundreds of artists, right? They trust me with six-figure budgets. Mm. Every one of them was referred by somebody who said, oh, that's what you need? You need to call from Sarah. Wow. Many of my clients have never even met me in my, met me to face, face-to-face. My campaign I get paid 100% upfront with a wire deposit in my bank account. Which is unheard of. One of my clients is in bankruptcy and I got the call that they were changing that. And they said, we fought for you because we, you're the only vendor that gets paid that way. That was what I, my, I prayed to God. Joseph was second in command. I only want to deal with second in command or higher. I only want to deal with the people who write the checks or who have the authority to approve the checks. I don't want to deal with anything in between. And there have been times, even recently, where I felt like maybe I'll apply for this a job. This seems like a great opportunity. You know when I shut it down? When it becomes too 
when there's an extra step or nope, that's not for me because then I'm stepping outside of God, of my deal with God, right? Because that's mm-hmm. me, that's something with me and God. I always encourage people to look at the patterns in your life and how God has worked with you, right? One of the things that God has done in my life is ensured that I had a place to stay. And I know that sounds simple to some people, but I've been a single mother and always 100% responsible for the bills, no child support. Like I'm, you know, and so even as a business owner, I'm 100% responsible for everything. And there have been times when it's gotten really, really close. And I feel I I should give this testimony because somebody needs to hear and understand that even during a pandemic, God is working miracles. So last year was a not so good year for my business. And thankfully, I had some money that I could live on for a while, but that ran out. Mm. You know, there were costs associated with running a business. And slowly, I started cutting back. Do I get rid of the business insurance? Do I get rid of my health insurance? And health insurance for myself is like $800 a month, you know. And that's what people don't know. They When they have these employers who are paying half and they pay $400 a month, they don't realize what it costs when you're self-employed. Right. So $800 a month, you know, um, insurance for the business itself, you know, like there's all these costs that go into just running a business. I'm cutting back, I'm cutting back, I'm cutting back and, and I'm waiting for a campaign and that campaign never comes. And I'm saying, okay, God, we're getting really, really close. I live in a beautiful home. I've been in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for the past five years, a block from the ocean. That's a testimony too. But anyway, so my God, and I have an upstairs room in my house that's a prayer room, my war room with the prayers all around it. And I said, God, this room is dedicated to you. When I came here, we have to make covenants with God and people don't do that. So that's why my Joseph covenant with God, I can't step outside of that. Other covenant I made with God is I'm going to be here as long as you want me to be here. When it's time for me to leave, you're going to let me know. I typically pay my bills two to three months in advance, sometimes six months in advance. So because of that, when I ran out of funds and I'm trying to figure out and I go to have the conversation with the rental agency, you know, they give me some grace because I usually pay, you know, ahead of time. But, you know, we're getting to the point now can't pay ahead of time. Earlier this year, I was um, last October, actually, I got this idea, felt like I need to create an organization called Minority Women in Business. Because I was in rooms that other women weren't in, and I wanted to bring them in those rooms. And I was learning things and being exposed to opportunities that I felt like some of us, that that exists, that we just didn't know about. And I wanted to do it here and then travel all across the country and literally have people meet with their local chamber of commerce and see the opportunities that are there. Meet with your local government, the mayor. I did an event um, earlier this year, right before coronavirus, where I had the mayor give someone the key to the city. You know, I had people from the South Carolina Department of Commerce partnered with me and they came in. They were sponsor. I can't use the word partner, but they came in and they... Um, showed people how to become uh, a state-approved vendor so they could, you know, generate money that way. Well, I originally thought I was supposed to do it this October. I got an opportunity to use the convention center for free in February. So I was like, okay, God, I got to do it. And every time I got ready not to do it, you got to ask God to give you a sign. He will. Every time I didn't want to do it, media would call me. Like the news would call me. Somebody would call me for an interview. I'm like, okay, I got to do it. Long story short, I went $6,000 into debt. Not only did I not make money, I went $6,000 into debt, but it was an amazing experience and it helped some women. So 
So now February comes the event. They're looking for money. I don't have it. They said, we're going to have to file for eviction. Okay. My God, I'm waiting for this campaign to come. What's happening with this campaign? Like, why is this campaign not coming? And I'm, I'm, you got, this is why you got to read your Bible. You got to know God's promises. I'm the head, not the tail. Never tell you righteous for sick is when he see big bread. And I'm declared righteous by the blood. I just start crying. I'm like, this is what God, you told me, you said, you know, and you know, I'm getting angry with God. And I'm saying, this is how I feel, God. Like, I'm not, I could go and lay up with some man and live in his place and not have to run. And I'm not doing that. Or I could have some man come and I'm not doing that. And God. All of that. And so the first thing that happened was I got the date for the court date to go to court. It came the day after court. So I missed the court date. So I'm calling mm-hmm. the court. I'm like, no, 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 no. Y'all didn't default on me. And they were like, neither party showed up. So now the landlord has to start the process all over in the beginning. And I said, oh, I see God. You want to use this as an opportunity to mold my faith. Okay, I'm a rock with you. And people were saying to me, maybe you need to move. Because I have three bedrooms, two bathrooms. I have two floors. And it's just me in this house. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you need to downsize. Maybe you need to. And I said, I'm going to be honest with you. If that's what God wants me to do, God is going to lead me to the place, as he always does. I start looking for a place. Could not find any place that my heart felt was the place. Because I never settled. Because God don't want me to settle, right? So I kept feeling that God was going to do something. Then coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So that gave me an extension until April 4th was my next court date. And I was like, okay, God, you got until April 4th. I remember talking to one of my friends, pacing and praying as I'm talking to her. You know what? I don't care if I don't qualify for these loans. I don't need these loans. God is going to do this to me in such a way that no one's going to, I'm going to know that it's nothing but God On, on or around March 28th. I get an email from a client that had not contacted me in a while. By the time I'm seven months behind in rent. Seven months. Seven months behind. Not only my seven months, not, um, not only my seven months behind in rent, lease is up the, at the end of May. So yeah, so my, I can't remember the date, but it was four days. It was like literally the Thursday before my court date. And at the end of that court date, my lease would have been up. So there was no reason for them to even give me, you know, give me a chance. I get an email from a client and they have a campaign for me. I'm like, oh God, I can pay them, you know, some of this one. She calls me and, and they pay me the way that they pay me. So I, something tells me not to call then. I know I have the court date on that Monday. I was like, I'm going to call them on that Friday. Okay, God, I'm going to call them on Friday. I get a call from the client. And the client says, listen, we have some more campaigns for you over the next couple of months. Why don't we just pay you for all of them up front? Mm. I'm not going to tell you the number that hit my bank account that Friday, but I will tell you that I paid my rent for an entire year. Wow. You got to sit up on that one for real. So during a pandemic, when I was about to be evicted, my lease was about to be, I was out of all everything. There's nothing that I did. I didn't get on the phone and call all my clients and say, hey, you got work for me. That's not, and I'm not knocking anybody who does that. That's not what God wanted me to do. God wanted me to sit down and let God be God. And each time I'm presented with challenges like that, it stretches my faith and it draws me closer to him more and more. 
and it makes him more real to me in other areas of my life as well. That, wow, that there's so many people because we're living in a time where there's so much uncertainty. The government is doing whatever they're doing. And right, people were living off the disaster loans, the SBA loans for a while, but things are getting dicey. They're getting dicey. But here's the thing that 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 I had to deal with myself. Um, and I had to reconcile with, and I still, I'm, I'm person, I, 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 I feel bad about sometimes and I, and I know I shouldn't because there were people who had jobs, were not worried about their jobs and were saying to me, you need to leave. Like mm-hmm. you just go live with a friend, like, you know, sell everything and go rent a room and you know, whatever. And those people, some of those people don't have jobs and their jobs are never coming back. Wow. It's true. And I've said, you know, talking to Marcus, the producer of the show, I said 2020 is breaking a lot of people, but it's going to open some doors for people as well. There, there are paths that are, are trails that are blazed in times of calamity. People get divine ideas. Uh, there's a shift that happens where new opportunities open up. And, you know, it's I think for a lot of people, it is about perspective and sticking to your purpose and what you were told, because the okay. response is not going to be the same for everybody. And I can't be mad at the people who thought that, right? Because here's the thing, just like people, people value you. There's a, a I, and I wrote this in a book. You can't expect people to know your worth who don't know their own value, mm. right? So it's the same way with people's faith. They're applying their faith to your situation. Their faith is not big enough for my situation. That's not no, not no shade to them. It's just that their walk with God is not my walk with God. It's not the same. And maybe God told them they should move. Maybe I, you know, I don't know. I just know you have to be in all of my insecurities, right? In all of my uncertainties and all of my imposter syndrome. One thing I've been sure about. And that's my relationship with God. Mm, that's good. And when you think about, we'll take Moses as an example. You think of Moses, you think of Jonah. You think of these people who were, even Sarah, right? It wasn't that Sarah didn't have faith in God. It was her insecurity within herself. Mm. Moses, it wasn't that Moses didn't believe that he couldn't speak. Moses, every, every excuse that he gave to God at the burning bush was about him as a person. It was not about, well, I don't believe you're God. You're not sovereign. You can't make this happen. It was about him. We need to deal with ourselves and, and, we, and, and find a way to separate that when we're going through trials and stuff and say, but God is God. And no pandemic can change that. That's a good word. I feel like you just told the story, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. I had so many to choose and I'm going to choose one. I feel like somebody needs to hear this. Um, It was the day at two o'clock, one or two o'clock in the morning when I took a bottle of pills and I went Mm. to a bench and I was done. I was done with life. I was going through some things in my household, in my home that were so challenging, that felt so crippling to me and so incredibly soul crushing to me. And I want people to hear this. People who commit suicide, it's not because they don't want to die. It's not because they want to die. 
That's not why they commit suicide. It's because they don't want to live. They just don't want to be here anymore. And they feel like if I'm not here, that will take away that pain. And we like to say, and the reason I chose that moment is because there are a lot of things that people deem extraordinary in my life that I don't. I feel like they're they're just, the, the extraordinary is me being an ordinary person and God adding extra to it, right? The extraordinary thing that I did on that day was answer the phone when my friend called. Mm. She couldn't sleep randomly, and I like to call the woman accidentally on purpose moment, called me. And when I answered the phone, she said, where are you? And she kept me on the phone long enough for someone to come get me. Mm. So on that day, the most extraordinary thing that I could do was answer the phone. Mm. And I guess I want to convey the message that it's okay not to be okay. And on some days, if the best you can do is get up out of the bed, brush your teeth, and then get back in the bed again, it's an extraordinary on that day Cause, because you're still here. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's good. And I feel, you know, we've been hearing these stories um, of people a lot of stories are coming out because it's a time to be talking about suicide prevention, but people taking their own life during quarantine, right? Because they don't have the social interaction. We don't have the support system in the village that we um, normally may, may have had. Also, people's money is funny. And even in the entertainment business, you know, productions are shut down, you know, that, that kind of thing. So I think it's important for that story to be told because so many people are in such a dark space and cut off from the outside world in a way that they would not normally be if we were not in the middle of a global pandemic. It's 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 truly challenging, and it's funny because I am um, I'm an introverted extrovert. Like I literally can be in my house for three weeks and never walk out the door. One because I create an environment that I love, and I feel like I have so much to do. But when the pandemic hit, it was different because there's something about knowing that you don't have that as an option. Right. And now I'm looking forward to being able to get out and to be able to do, you know, to do things freely the way that I would like to do them. But I can I can't imagine how hard this is for people who are really social beings, really active social beings. I thank God for Zoom and, you know, the ability to FaceTime and to do those things with people. But I think it's also an opportunity for us to develop deeper connections with people mm-hmm. rather than just superficial. Because you can go out to a bar, have a drink and meet people and just be superficial. And then you come home and what is there? But it doesn't matter because you get up and you go to work the next morning and you see people and you interact with them. But this is really an opportunity for us to be introspective and 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 to turn inward and to see who we are and learn some things about ourselves. And I, I want the pandemic to be over, but I am appreciating everything that I'm learning about myself in this season. It definitely, I just told someone this yesterday, it definitely has opened up a space for and time for self-reflection uh, for people who are normally on go and moving at 100 miles an hour especially high achievers, you know, during normal times, having to just sit with yourself and your own thoughts and unpack some things. And for that, it's not always easy, but for that, I'm grateful for sure. So I'll give you an example for me. I, I know I'm always on, I'm always on go. 
I like to say that I'm relaxing. And it wasn't until the past two months that I realized that even when I relax, I'm lying to myself because my mind is always thinking about the next thing that I needed to do. What I've been doing is yoga and meditation. Mm-hmm. And it forces me to be in the moment. And so now I put my phone on do not disturb. I don't feel like I have to have my phone. You know, sometimes I will leave my phone downstairs and don't think about it for hours. That typically wasn't me. My phone would be in my hand. I'm like, because I got to have that that constant um, distraction. And now I am really focused and centered. And especially as um, someone with the gift of discernment, so much more in tune with things. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So what's interesting is we've talked for so long and I just know in my heart that we've still only touched the tip of the iceberg with your story. Um, but, you know, the beauty of these relationships and, you know, we usually do our interviews in, in person um, and COVID. It was and we like that energy of being in the same room. But one of the, the beauty of like of COVID has been talking to people who are not in New York or New Jersey and being able to have that conversation. But what I love about this show is that this is the beginning. We always hope that it's the beginning of a journey uh, of people coming into the 26er community and, and appearing on the show. And we continue to follow their journey and continue to have conversations and invite them back over time. Um, but I feel like, you know, we, we have goals of creating conferences and seminars and all that other stuff. So I know I'm going to be calling you for that because you dropped like 45 uh, gems in this <laughs> one conversation. <laughs> I, have thoroughly, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, so ahead. tell people, we, we've referenced your books at various points, but tell people, all, list all of your books again and where they can find them. Okay, so um, my website is sincerajohnson.com and you can get um, most of them directly there from me. Um, all of them are on Amazon. All of them are available at Barnes and Noble as well. I did a Barnes and Noble book signing for two books at one time last year and sold out like before the wow. book signing was over. I was really amazed by that. But um, I do information. I refer to as informational and inspirational writing. So the in- informational breaking into television and insider's guide. Um, and it, that's exactly what it is. It was written several years ago, but it's still relevant. Getting the first base the art of the pitch, if you're interviewing or if you want to learn about pitching, pitching yourself in any capacity. Um, I like I teach it at school and they order the books in bulk for the students and I go in and I have sessions with them. Um, Dear God, Passionate Prayers and 140 Characters or Less. That came from me being on Twitter, tweeting prayers and people saying, when are you going to write a book? And I woke up one day and realized I had enough content for 300 books. So I still have books to be released. Um, Talks with God, 30 Days of Inspiration for Entrepreneurs. I wrote, um, I walk the beach in the morning and have these talks with God. And I wrote that during a really, really challenging time in my life. I was struggling with depression, um, traveling a lot, you know, but not really uh, addressing what was going on within my life. And it caused me to reflect on my journey overall. And I talk about things in that book, especially if you're entrepreneurial, you know, what support means why you shouldn't expect your friends to support you. I talked to the church community in one chapter very specifically about branding, like why you shouldn't name your, thing, your, your bookstore to Jesus book shop or holy something or, or whatever, because God never put his name on the stuff that he created. So why are we putting his name on the stuff that we create? Um, and then there's Pray Like Hannah. Um, 
it's a guided prayer journal. And I actually do, I'm doing, tw- it's a 12 chapter and it literally is from studying the Bible. It literally, that entire book is a study of the first chapter of the book of First Samuel. And sometimes we go birth by birth, but praylikehannah.com, I do weekly. Um, I do weekly, uh, I do a weekly session with that, praylikehannah.com. You can sign up for that. And then the latest thing is my t-shirt line. It's teesandbooks.com, T-E-E-S and books.com. And there I have inspirational quotes on t-shirts and, and uh, self-care journals and diaries. And some of them are just for fun, like the introvert extrovert um, journal is it's um, 52 weeks. And you could put in there the things that you sign up for. Cause I used to do it all the time when I was at home. I'd be, yes, I'm RSVP for three or four things. And then I don't go to none of them. So you see what you're RSVP for, what you didn't go to and why you didn't go. And, you know, time for some self-reflection about that. Like you might want, want to check that. But um, I'm excited about that. Um, several things are on the site, working on new stuff all the time. And I'm, um, I'm excited for you. I'm, I'm like, because, you know, it's I, I knew coming into this, this was going to be a great conversation, but clearly you're, you're good at what you do professionally. Um, but that spiritual component. When you add that to the talent that the world respects, right? Because we all have talent and give things at corporate America. Or like, oh, right. we we could use you, but it's right. that it's that that connection, that direct connection to divine to the divine um, that I think allows you to impact people in a different way, right? And so I I am excited to see how that continues to evolve because you've obviously been doing that through um, your work and your brand but continues, continues to evolve and how your audience grows, whether you're looking for it or not right. in that perspective, because it's going to happen, obviously, for sure. Yeah, I am. I'm very excited about this season in my life and I am ready to go wherever God sends me. I'm ready to watch it. That's for sure. <laughs> so um, you mentioned your website. Tell folks where they can find you on social media, and then we'll talk about the giveaway that we're doing. Okay. So on social media, that writing chick, T-H-A-T-W-R-I-T-I-N-G-C-H-I-C. And I literally chose that name before I even wrote a book. Mm. I just knew that's what I was supposed to be doing. So, and I wanted to be known as a writer. And we know that you have several books and you have come bearing gifts for one uh, blessed, we won't say lucky after this conversation, one okay. blessed there. Uh, so tell the people, tell the 26ers what you're giving away. Um, a copy, an autographed copy of Talks with God, 30 Days of Inspiration for Entrepreneurs, and also a $25 gift certificate to Tees and Books, um, where you can get t shirt, whatever it is that you want. $25 gift certificate. Awesome. So this is how, if you're interested uh, in this book, which I have read, so I'm going to encourage you uh, to participate in this giveaway. And even if you don't win, go ahead. We've got to sell one to each other. Make sure you buy the book, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're interested in this book and this in this gift card, it's very simple. So this episode will drop. If you listen to the, the show, you know our episodes drop on Tuesday. Um, and we may split it up into two parts as we've you know talked for such a, a, a specific amount of time. So if you're listening and this does get split up and it's a part one, uh, after you've listed the interview, go ahead on social media, whatever platform you prefer and share this episode. Okay. Whether you repost from one of us, whether you create your own post, 
just share it. Tell people what you thought and tag Sincera at That Writing Chick and tag December 26th podcast at December 26th. That's December 26 ER. So we'll let that run from Tuesday to Friday. And then at that point, we will pick a winner and we'll, you'll be notified and we'll make sure we get those things to you. So now that I just thought about it, this is the end of what could be a part two. So whenever you hear it, whether it's part one or part two, um, go ahead and share this. And, and you know, we, we live on, you were talking about not selling yourself. This show has really been an organic growth process for us and word of mouth. We live on people sharing and telling people about it. So if you're a supporter of the show or you're a new listener who was brought here by Sincera, go ahead and tell somebody. Don't forget to tag both of us and we will add you uh, to this raffle for the giveaway. And we'll announce that probably on both of our, our social media platforms. So with that being said, oh, I'm hyped. I can't wait to get off this and uh, text go and said, I should have known if you were bringing somebody in, it was going to be real. So thank you so much for spending a portion of your, your Saturday afternoon um, with me. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you. It was my great honor. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. It's been a blessing for me. So listen, our to our 26er family, if you're into what you heard, make sure you go follow, like, share, and subscribe, as I said. And remember, always, always, always remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.